dare to fight, Xi Jinping tells the Chinese military to deepen its war planning. If the Chinese Communist Party uh, wins, we will be in wars pretty much forever. The second U.S. cabinet official to visit China in a month. Treasury Secretary Yellen kicking off a trip to Beijing on Thursday. Beijing takes a new swipe at Washington, telling Japan and South Korea you can never become a Westerner. Hong Kong, Pearl of the Orient, or a place of nightmares. Two days, five arrests, all charged with aiding dissidents abroad, and eight overseas activists wanted by Hong Kong police. I'm never going to stop and I, I'm never going to back down, even though there's a bounty on my head. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Hints of a coming war. Chinese leader Xi Jinping urging the military to deepen war and combat planning on Thursday. According to Chinese state media Xinhua News, that's to increase the chances of winning an actual war. Xi is calling on his troops to safeguard China's sovereignty and territory. Russia having started a war in Europe, China close to starting a war in Asia. Uh, we are furiously trying to prevent that second war so that it does not engulf the world. This comes as U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen arrived in Beijing for talks aimed at easing tensions between the U.S. and China. At the same time, Beijing's talk of combat readiness is happening amid great uncertainty. She spoke with troops while inspecting the Eastern Theater Command, a branch of China's military. While there, she said the world has entered a new period of turmoil, saying the military must dare to fight. If the Chinese Communist Party uh, wins, then yes, we will be in wars pretty much forever. Xi has also upped the rhetoric when it comes to Taiwan, vying to take back the island by force if necessary. Communist China views Taiwan as part of its own territory. That's despite having never ruled it. China has routinely sent fighter jets into Taiwan's air defense identification zone, ramping up war games in the area following then-U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan last August. If they win the war over Taiwan, they will start waging wars against all democracies eventually. If we win the war over Taiwan by simply deterring and, and not fighting it, then we can perhaps preserve some semblance of peace and prevent uh, our children from having to be drafted and sent off to multiple wars. The U.S. recently greenlit $440 million in arms sales to Taiwan. And that's just part of a weapons deal for the island valued at over $1 billion. It's part of Washington's so-called porcupine strategy, aiming to raise the cost and expected losses to China should it decide to invade. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has arrived in China. She's the second cabinet member to meet with Chinese Communist Party officials in less than a month. Entity's Melina Weiskup has the story. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is visiting China for the next few days. Yellen is trying to work out economic relations between the two largest economies in the world. This trip comes amid new tensions between Beijing and Washington over export controls. National Foreign Trade Council President Jake Colvin described the trip as one that's expected to help define a quote-unquote new normal. 
Yellen's trip is part of the Biden administration's plan to deepen communications with China, but some doubt its effectiveness. Here's what Congressman Mike Gallagher, who is the chairman of the Select China Committee in the House, told me just ahead of Secretary of State Antony Blinken's trip to China just a few weeks ago. The attempts by the administration to revive engagement after it's failed for 20 years, I just don't know what that achieves other than to force us to slow walk certain defensive actions, i.e. sanctions on key CCP officials related to the ongoing genocide. We have to figure out a way to reclaim our economic independence, to stop funding our own destruction, and to take the golden blindfolds off when it comes to the risks of doing business with Beijing, which we've seen again for 20 years. But Yellen is expected to tell her Chinese counterparts that the U.S. does not intend to decouple the two economies. But this is tricky because the U.S. still intends to protect human rights and protect national security. And although Yellen is mainly meant to focus on economic relations, she's expected to also warn CCP officials of the consequences they face if they do provide lethal aid to Russia. Reporting from Washington, D.C. Melina Weiskop, NTD News. You can never become a Westerner. That's the Chinese Communist Party's message to Japan and South Korea. The remark comes from Wang Yi, the head of Beijing's Foreign Affairs Commission and former foreign minister. Here's what else he said at the 2023 International Forum for Trilateral Cooperation. Quote, Chinese, Japanese and Koreans are all viewed as Asians by Americans. They cannot tell the differences between us, and it's the same in Europe. So according to Beijing, what should be done? Wang said Japan, South Korea and China, quote, need to remember where we came from, urging them to, in his words, revitalize Asia. He went on to take an apparent jab at Washington. Some major countries outside the region deliberately exaggerate ideological differences. Tokyo and Seoul both maintain partnerships with the U.S. that focus on countering Chinese and North Korean aggression. Washington has over 80,000 troops deployed across the two nations, and the three nations have held a number of joint military drills. Beyond that, Japan and South Korea have worked to fix their relations this year and have jointly voiced their national security interests in the Taiwan Strait. Arrests, jail sentences and detentions, those are the risks facing activists in Hong Kong. On Thursday, police arrested a man at the city's airport. That's after four other people were detained for alleged breaches of Beijing's security law just a day earlier. The arrests come as Hong Kong police announced eight overseas-based activists would be pursued for life. Over in Washington, the State Department has downgraded its travel advisory for Hong Kong, while doing the same for China. What's the current human rights situation in the autonomous city? Let's zoom in. Hong Kong National Security Police arrested four people on Wednesday, accusing them of financially supporting overseas dissidents and of advocating for Hong Kong's independence from China. Ivan Lam, the former chairman of the now-disbanded pro-democracy group Demosisto, was among those arrested. In a statement, police said they arrested four men for suspected conspiracies to foreign collusion and doing acts with seditious intent. The four were suspected of receiving funds from operating companies, social platforms and mobile applications to support people who have fled overseas and continue to engage in activities that endanger national security. Police did not name the suspects or provide details of the alleged offences.
Local media, citing unnamed sources, connected the arrest of people to an app known as Punish Me, a platform available on the Apple and Google Play stores that congregates businesses that support the pro-democracy movement. The arrests came just two days after the Hong Kong police made a high-profile announcement that it had issued warrants and bounties for eight overseas-based activists over national security-related offences. Hong Kong Chief Executive John Lee said on Tuesday that the aid would be pursued for life. Exiled and pursued for life, eight overseas-based activists wanted by Hong Kong police, with bounties of over $120,000 offered for each. Where do the exiled activists stand, and how are they reacting to their wanted status? We hear from U.S. and U.K.-based Hong Kong activists for more. So, um... U.S.-based Hong Kong activist Anna Kwok says she's not surprised she's become a wanted person in her home city. I've expected that they would manage to do whatever uh, uh, ways there are to silence us. But she vows to fight on. I believe what I'm doing is right, and I believe the values we're fighting for is right. And that's why I'm never going to stop, and I, I'm never going to back down, even though there's a bounty on my head. Hong Kong police on Monday issued arrest warrants for Kwok and seven other overseas-based Hong Kong activists, accusing them of serious offenses, including foreign collusion and inciting secession. Rewards of more than $120,000 have been offered for information leading to each possible arrest. On Tuesday, Hong Kong's chief executive said that the eight would be pursued for life. Regardless of how far they may flee, we will pursue these criminals for their entire lives. Over in the UK, two exiled Hong Kong activists pledged on Wednesday to continue their advocacy work, even though they don't feel safe with bounties on their heads. Well, to be honest, I don't feel really safe uh, in the UK, but this will not deter myself from continuing uh, the advocacy effort. Lau is the founder of the activist groups Hong Kong Liberty and Stand with Hong Kong. He says he has previously been attacked in Britain and has been followed by people. Lau demands a meeting with Foreign Secretary James Cleverly. He wants to talk with him about China's breaches of the Sino-British Joint Declaration, the agreement between the UK and China that made clear that Hong Kong's high degree of autonomy, rights and freedoms would remain unchanged for 50 years. Maybe this is a way that uh, the UK government uh, will start waking up. Meng, a trade union activist who fled to the UK two years ago, also vows to continue his work. If I stop because of the fear, it will only encourage the Chinese government to do more intimidation, more arrest warrants to silence the overseas activities. Meng said that even though he's not facing imminent arrest, he has to be more careful when taking flights outside the UK to avoid being extradited to China or Hong Kong. I'm also worried about this kind of arrest warrant might trigger and mobilize the so-called, you know, little planes to in, intimidate me and to harass me. And that was what happened before. Chinese Communist Party loyalists are sometimes known as Little Pinks. The eight activists are based in several countries, including the U.S., Britain and Australia. Each of their governments have criticized the move. Washington slammed Hong Kong officials for threatening human rights of all people over the world. Britain said it will not tolerate attempts by China to silence individuals in the U.K. and overseas.
It's just unacceptable. And Australia's prime minister said on Wednesday, quote, it's just unacceptable. China hit back at those criticisms, accusing them of protecting Hong Kong pro-democracy activists based overseas. Beijing peddling more of its cross-border influence. And a United Nations agency may be one of its key inroads. A new report spotlights how the Food and Agriculture Organization, or FAO, has been tailored to serve the interests of communist China. Here's more. A former vice agriculture minister of China is now the top leader of the UN Food and Agriculture Organization. Chu Dongyu just secured his second four-year term as director general of the agency, where the U.S. remains the largest financial contributor. And through him, Beijing appears to have expanded its global influence. An investigation by four German broadcasters dug deeper into some of the quiet dealings. The probe cast doubt on Chu's first rise to FAO head in 2019. That year, the Central African country of Cameroon withdrew its nominee from a pool of five candidates shortly after China wrote off the country's nearly $80 million in debt. Julia Klockner, Germany's then Minister of Agriculture, recalled that on Election Day, African countries were asked to take pictures of their ballots, a move indicating the potential for bribery behind the scenes. The report further noted that before Chu took office, the FAO had only two senior Chinese directors. That figure went up to six in the past four years. The Chinese officials work at FAO headquarters in Rome and hold sway over the agency's budget. But at the same time, they get salaries from Beijing and report regularly to the Chinese embassy in Rome. On top of these, the FAO has been supplying controversial pesticides to Africa, Asia and Oceania. The largest share came from chemical maker Syngenta, a company acquired by Beijing-owned ChemChina in 2017. Those pesticides have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity. Beyond that, under Chu's leadership, the FAO has played broker to China's Belt and Road Initiative. In one example, the UN agency helped boost cattle exports from Laos to China. The organization described the project as consistent with China's priority to support the One Belt, One Road Initiative. Some deals look to have had an even more direct impact. According to Italian magazine Formice, in March and April, Iraq and Tajikistan dropped their nominations for the head of the FAO, clearing the way for Chu Dongyu to be the sole candidate this year. Both countries are members of China's Belt and Road Initiative. Violent break-ins, bloodshed, and even death. That's during a forced eviction in northwest China. The victimized family is now calling for international attention. Here's a closer look. In the early morning of April 1st, a group of unknown men broke into the home of Zheng Shenbao, a local in China's Shanxi province. They were driving an excavator. Some carried crowd control shields, riot forks, fire extinguishers, and knives. One man brought a triangle knife over 12 inches long. They broke into his house to forcibly demolish it. Zheng's brother-in-law said that more than 100 people came wearing uniforms and masks. Eleven intruded into Zheng's home, multiple injuries occurred, and one from the demolition team died. They cut the power lines and flipped on the fire extinguishers. It was in total darkness and chaos. No one knew how this man got killed. Zhang Sanbao was also stabbed in the arm. His son got cut across the belly by the triangle knife, but it was not life-threatening. Police arrested Zhang and his son on charges of intentional injury. Zhang pleaded not guilty to the murder. 
the prosecutor's office dismissed the case for lack of evidence. Why was it dismissed? The police said the murder weapon, the knife, was missing during the investigation. They couldn't find it. That's what the police claim. Zhang owns a residential base and more than 20,000 square feet of contracted land in his hometown. Authorities later planned to use the region for commercial construction. In 2018, officials ordered Zhang to hand over his property. They carried out forced evictions, while no compensation or settlements were agreed upon. Local courts ruled twice that authorities acted illegally. Yet Zhang still suffers regular harassment from them. We want to call on international organizations or news agencies to expose such phenomena. People in China don't have any human rights. The CCP doesn't follow the law at all. Their so-called rule by law is just empty talk. In China, all land is owned by the state. Land confiscation accounts for many of the protests spotted across the country. Other big stories to watch out for, 70 pounds of synthetic drugs from China labeled as beauty products and intercepted at a U.S. airport. TikTok asking a U.S. judge to overturn an upcoming state ban. Those reports and more coming up tomorrow on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Beijing is hosting Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen this week. Will her trip encourage the U.S. to pause its tech export restrictions on the country and thaw frosty U.S.-China ties? Plus, what's the current human rights situation in Hong Kong? Washington has downgraded its travel advisory for the city. But what's behind the move? We speak to Gregory Copley, president of the International Strategic Studies Association, for more. Gregory Copley, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Great to be with you, Tiffany. Today, Treasury Secretary just landed in Beijing, Janet Yellen, and she's there for four days. This is part of kind of a trip to ease tensions there. So what do you make of this visit? The reality is that uh, there's not a lot which the visits by the Secretary of State or by uh, Janet Yellen or the Secretary of Commerce are going to do for uh, bilateral relations at this stage. The PRC is seen to be winning and that the U.S. is forced to go to Beijing to kowtow to the Communist Party. So it's really a no-win situation for the United States. It's not going to save or protect any investment. And the U.S. retaliates in small ways, like warning people not to travel uh, to mainland China or to Hong Kong. And yes, that is new, but uh, frankly, it doesn't make a lot of difference. Uh, people who have to go there for business or for family reasons are going to do that. Um, and people who read the newspapers in a general sense are not going to go anyway because it's less attractive than it was. Uh, Hong Kong, because of riots, protests, apparent crackdown because, over the national security law and so on. Xi Jinping has is facing the internal implosion of the of the mainland Chinese economy and also because he has painted himself into that corner, uh, committing himself to an attack on Taiwan. Uh, if he asks the PLA, they'll say, don't do it at this stage because it's too risky and it would automatically create a wider war. But Xi Jinping has painted himself into that corner. Uh, he uh, is prone to, uh, shall, shall we say, the decision-making of an isolated leader 
who, who will punish people who tell him what he doesn't want to hear. So, frankly, why is the U.S. doing this kowtowing to, to Beijing? And on that note, we did see Xi Jinping speaking to the Eastern Command recently, telling his military that they must dare to fight. Where do you see all of this going? Could we actually get to that point of a war? Uh, in reality, I think there's already great misgivings in many areas of the PLA uh, where they know that going to, to war with Taiwan would be far more than the country can afford to do because of the uh, devastating impact it would have on mainland China and its population and infrastructure, uh, not, not just from the Taiwanese themselves and, and, and the Republic of China, but also from the Japanese, the South Koreans, the Indians, uh, Australia, US, and so on. So basically, um, it, it could lead to war unless the PLA makes it clear that they will not go to war. The question is, how can they do that? How can they convey that message to Xi? Uh, nobody wants to take that message to Xi Jinping right now for fear of the uh, of being purged by by uh, by Xi. So essentially, what we're going to see is an increasingly uh, divided situation uh, where the the PLA secretly becomes more and more split from the Communist Party. And we saw that, by the way, in the Soviet Union. Uh, for the last decade of the life of the Soviet Union, these, this was a group of ultra-nationalists, Russian nationalists, who were determined to ensure that the Communist Party could not order them into a major war with any foreign uh, power, and that they, their goal was to overthrow the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. As you mentioned, too, part of that is China's own economic woes. The economy isn't doing well in China. But in terms of the message to the outside world, you have kind of Beijing wooing the CEOs of the world, as you mentioned, Elon Musk, Bill Gates. So what is the message coming out of China here? They don't certainly have a unified message. It's Part of it is reaction and reactiveness. Um, the other part is uh, this uh, a false attempt to portray uh, the Communist Party of China as a benevolent, warm and friendly and inviting uh, host. Um, it, it doesn't hang together. The inevitable rise of the Communist Party of China and the inevitable Chinese domination of the world is now not seen by most of the world as inevitable. So uh, already, despite the, the bombast, the wolf warrior diplomacy, the attempts at diplomatic bullying, the uh, success that Beijing has had in forcing Joe Biden to kowtow to, to Xi Jinping. All of this counts for nothing because the world now does not see the inevitable rise of the Chinese economy or of the Communist Party of China. So right now, the Communist Party of China knows that it is facing uh, its, its own mortality. It knows that all things being equal, the Communist Party of China has only a few years left to live. Now, that tends to make someone like Xi Jinping, who's already paranoid, far more likely to act pre precipitously uh, by launching a war against Taiwan or against one of its other neighbours, simply to bolster domestic public support so that the, the whole mass of the Chinese population doesn't turn at once on the Communist Party. But right now, the Communist Party 
is aware of its own mortality. What must the U.S. do now, then? Well, the U.S. must stop kowtowing to Beijing, but it doesn't have to go the other way and try to prolong the life of the Communist Party and Xi Jinping by making Xi Jinping and the Communist Party look good or credible. Already we see uh, that elements within the U.S. government and certainly within the private commercial circles uh, agreeing that the GDP of the of the communist of of um, People's Republic of China may be as much as 50 to 60 percent less than is claimed. Uh, we also see uh, the West giving far too much credibility to the prowess and uh, seamless operation of the Chinese defence industries and the People's Liberation Army, when they are very very much untested. Uh, and, and frankly, cannot get the, the sorts of reliability they need in their advanced military equipment. So we need to stop looking at the People's Republic of China through the lenses which are made in the People's Republic of China. We have to be far more objective, not, uh, not smug or complacent about it by any means. Gregory Copley, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Tiffany. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus@ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.